This is a fresh agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Glad to have you here in this tiny part of the podcast universe. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please check out my other episodes. Subscribe, share, and rate if you have the time. I would be so appreciative. And you can always drop me a line on my socials or through my website, which is mendonsamedia.com. Now, my guest today is Eric Desenholm. He's the guy you call when there's a crisis. Desen Hall is an author of 11 books. His latest is called False Light. His latest is a novel, and it's a thrilling tale of revenge. He'll talk a little bit more about that. But he also has written many nonfiction books on crisis communication and corporate witch hunts. He's a damage control expert based in Washington, D.C., and the CEO of Desen Hall Resources, which is a nationally recognized high-stakes communications firm. First, I have a story for you before we get to our interview. Uh, I left one of my social platforms up on a computer that lots of other people have access to. I know, not a smart thing. I forgot to log out on a Friday. On Sunday, and this happened a while ago, I woke up to find notifications accusing me of sharing something offensive. I couldn't see it in my feed when I looked because it originated from an account I had blocked. When I finally figured it all out, I deleted it, I apologized to those who saw it, and then I reblocked the offensive account. But it was a very stressful 20 minutes as people saw it, were sharing it, were asking me about it and calling me out on it. It's interesting that people rushed to criticize before I even knew what had happened. And it was only in my DMs that anyone was actually helpful, suggesting that I look to see if this came from an account that I had blocked. So when you talk about COVID, and we've talked about it before, overwhelming the body with this cytokine storm, that is what came to mind in that rush of people who swarm on something that um, they deem offensive or want to hop in and join everyone else that are criticizing someone else. It's the first step in what we know as cancel culture. And it's not just happening to celebrities. It's not just happening to brands, but people, private citizens, losing jobs, opportunities, having their otherwise good reputation shredded and not just for mistakes, but even for beliefs or, or political things that they post. A whole group decides they don't like it, they're triggered, and they're going to come after you. So apologies won't fix this, because cancel culture is about making an idea or a person socially radioactive. And once the collective hones in on a target, they are relentless. Psychologists say cancel culture is born of a need to exert control. It's our way to exert some control over a world that has increasingly become more dangerous and less tolerant. So let's talk first about three things that can decrease your likelihood of being canceled. Be careful weighing in on social or political issues. Chances are if you have friends or acquaintances on both sides of the aisle, someone's not going to be happy about it. Now, this doesn't make sense to a lot of younger people today because a lot of, especially younger people, wear their ideology on every social platform bio. Many feel very strongly that they want to be part of a social or a political movement. Now, I've spent most of my life as a journalist. I haven't had the experience of expressing myself politically publicly. I don't even sign petitions. So this tip may be harder for some than others. 
watch how you use humor. Humor can misfire, especially without nonverbal cues. Uh, many a brand has tried something funny or a sarcastic hashtag and then just been ripped apart by those who found it offensive. I've been misunderstood in texts when it comes to my humor, but you know, I know my comedic limitations, so I've kept them off social for the most part. Now, finally, if you do post or say something that offends someone, do what you would do in real life. Now, I said earlier that apologies don't help, but it is often the first step. Uh, and so do apologize if you said something that hurt someone's feelings. That's just what you would do in real life. It may not save you from further callouts, but it will be a start. Finally, you can listen to this interview because when it truly hits the fan, <laughs> this guy's phone starts ringing. Eric Desenhall joins me now. Thank you so much for making the time for us. I know you're very busy, especially these days. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about cancel culture. A lot of people say cancel culture is a myth that holding people accountable is as old as human beings. What are your thoughts on this? Well, cancel culture has become one of those words like narcissist or sociopath. I mean, it's used to describe everything you don't like. And to some degree, I think what you said is right. Cancel culture has always been around. It's, it's, it's a vehicle of power. Uh, to to gain power for people you like and lose power for people you don't like. I think that what's different now are uh, the people who are playing the game. Um, I mean, for example, back in the 1950s, it was kind of a right wing game to go against communists. Now it's moved to it's moved to the other side. And the other thing that's different. Uh, which uh, I've been writing about are, are the technologies that you can uh, create something that is negative that gets out there before you have the time to chase it down and catch it and correct it, whereas that didn't used to be the case. See, I read this interesting quote that said, cancel culture is born of a need to exert control. It's a way to exert some control over a world that is increasingly becoming more dangerous and less tolerant. Would you agree yeah, I, I think that that's right. I mean, if we were having this interview and you called me Eric, which of course is my name, I could come back and say, no, 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 no. I, I now go by Eric. And by saying that, you now feel badly that you've done something incorrect and now you want to make it up to me. Now, that's a very trivial example. And look, I think that we all can agree that there were words that were used in the past that, that are very upsetting and shouldn't be used anymore. And I'm not, I'm not blind to that. And I very much agree with a lot of those sentiments. The problem is it's gotten to the point that people are being destroyed, not for being horrible, um, and companies, by the way, I mean, which is where I make my living. And you know, one of the things I've been writing about, including in a, in a new novel that deals with this, is how you use character assassination as a tool to knock off people you don't like. Right. You know, and we've seen that with individuals, certainly. I mean, everyone, it's not just celebrities, it's like teachers and business owners and anyone, but brands as well. And we, we've talked a lot about how brands are almost being forced by the people who work for these brands to take a stand on an issue. But that's a dangerous place to be for a business. Yeah, it, it really is. And what's interesting is I, I am seeing that large corporations uh, almost all of them will immediately cave to uh, special interests 
um, that that want to get rid of uh, that want to cancel something. But what they don't take in mind, uh, keep in mind, is that there is a whole audience out there that doesn't agree with them. Um, you know, people tend to think that that corporations are are right wing. That's just not true. Small business people tend to be conservative. Um, big corporations are very much influenced by center left. Uh, culture, but sometimes they don't realize that you know when there was an ad. I think it was Pepsi when Kendall Jenner Jenner was handing a Pepsi to a police officer who was uh, maybe African American or Hispanic. I don't remember. And you know clearly this was kind of pandering. Look how open minded I am. I'm giving a Pepsi uh, to a police officer uh, who is of an ethnicity. But a lot of people looked at that and went, Oh, come on. Right. And 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 they don't care for it. The problem is is people who feel that this is ridiculous are going to be very careful about saying so. So you have to really be careful about uh, what you put out there and not assume that everybody agrees with you. It is some of these large corporations that get caught up in this that you know maybe have difficulty. But when it comes even to individuals, I mean, even just private citizens that post a political opinion on Twitter or or you know some other social media platform that are swarmed and attacked, what can you do, um, or how can you protect yourself? What happens if you feel like you are becoming the target of that? Well, first of all, I think we all have to be very careful about what we put online. I mean, I know I've had conversations with my kids that they need to be careful about photos and things like that because, look, we've all done things when we were younger that are less than brilliant. But do you want – Do you know, I, I'm 58, so I grew up in the 70s. Do I want everybody to know every idiotic thing I did in the 70s? Of course not, but there wasn't social media. So one thing you have to do is think about pulling your punches in terms of what you put out there. But I think that the scary thing is there is no way to control Twitter or the Internet. One of the interesting things about my business the, in the crisis management business is a lot of what is being sold is the idea, if you hire me, I can pretty much erase all of this stuff. That's just not true. That's what's scary, is you can't make these things go away. And what we're beginning to see is we're beginning to see um, that people are using defamation law in order to fight back because the stakes are so high that you simply cannot allow false and defamatory information out there. The problem comes is what if you really did say something? <laughs> and even mm -hmm. if it wasn't awful, there is no differentiation made between something that was kind of stupid and something that's awful. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, I've been writing about is there's really not a lot of difference between how someone who is an unequivocal monster like Harvey Weinstein is uh, is treated and how somebody like uh, former Senator Al Franken is tweeted by doing the kind of juvenile thing that comedians do. <laughs> right, right. Uh, now, give me some of your tools as a crisis manager. Tell me about some of those. If someone calls you and they say, look, you know, I've stepped in it. I need some help. I mean, what do you, what are the tools that you have at your disposal to help? Well, um, first of all, uh, there's the media. 
there are legal tools, there's social, there's social media. Uh, and so a lot of what, what we advise people to do is based upon what we see has worked and what we see had, had, you know, d- does not work. Um, there are times that we advise people to apologize. And by the way, most of what we do is corporate. I mean, there has been some inaccurate news out there that we are cancel culture consultants. That's not true. We are mostly working with corporations and large institutions that are trying to work their way through this. Fortunately, a large corporation or institution has the power and the money to hire consultants who can say, well, here you need to establish a code of conduct. Um, you, You need to put a CEO on the air to talk about how you're dealing uh, with this problem at your company. The, the the techniques for individuals are really quite limited. Right. Right. And that, I think that's what has so many people. I mean, you know, a lot of people have just canceled their uh, their their platforms. They're just off the plat- platforms. They've gotten off Twitter. They've gotten off Facebook because they're they're so worried about the swarm coming their way. You know, it kind of reminds me. I, I, I said to a friend, like when you talk about COVID-19, they talk about that cytokine storm that happens that, that causes so much illness. That's kind of what it can feel like uh, when you have so many people coming after you on social. Well, it does. And, you know, I saw a lot of this this coming and I had written uh, a novel that comes out next week called False Light. And among the things it shows is both sides of character assassination. If you have a woman who is claiming that she has been assaulted, uh, she has to realize that she is on trial by coming forward. Somebody who didn't like her in seventh grade is going to come out and say, well, we always knew she was a liar. By the same token, character assassination can be used to go after the alleged perpetrator. All you need to do is say it. Uh, And if it's a public figure or even if it is not, it's out there. And it's impossible to get back. I mean, if somebody if if somebody wants to say they heard X person make a racist remark or committed some sort of sexual violation, they now have mud on them that is next to impossible to clean off. And so, I mean, character assassination is really uh, it's just a tool. Uh, I think that Harvey Weinstein had his character assassinated, but most of us would agree that he should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that it's a big it's a big question mark. And what I'm seeing more and more are corporations and institutions alleged to have done bad things. But they have the resources to hire a consultant like me or uh, or a defamation attorney to fight back. I mean, I look at what happened to the Duke lacrosse kids uh, back in maybe it was 2007. What one of the reasons they ended up being vindicated was because these were people who had money and they could hire attorneys and consultants who could fight back. If an average person is accused of something that works for a corporation uh, and somebody makes an allegation of them, what's their recourse? And if you're listening to this and saying, well, boy, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of recourse for an average person, that's right. Well, yeah, you had mentioned, I think in one of the articles, you were quoted uh, talking about a teacher. A teacher gives out a grade and the parents don't like the grade. And all of a sudden, maybe the teacher's accused of something. 
Well, that's right. And look, I, I I used to do a lot more teaching of graduate students, and I stopped because you know I I once had a situation where a student was triggered, whatever that means. And if you're teaching a course in crisis management, which deals with tough subject, there is going to be stuff that triggers you. By the same token, the example that I gave in the New York Daily News piece I wrote uh, a couple days ago uh, about a college student. Uh, who had competitors for a spot at a very, very prestigious university, a bunch of anonymous people wrote the university and said the young woman uh, had a history of making racist remarks, and it knocked her off, knocked her out of the competition for that school. That is not apocryph apocryphal. This stuff is happening. Wow. And they didn't even check. I mean, that's a thing. It's like it doesn't seem like when an accusation is made, there is the uh, due diligence to actually check out any of these claims. Well, that's it's funny you say that because that's, you know, I couldn't figure out a way to do it in nonfiction. And so, you know, in, in my other life, I write novels. And what I did in this book, False Light, is I began to talk about how you can get something awful out there um, so fast that you can't catch up to it. And in answer to your question, in this case, the institution did a cursory check. You know, there's checking and then there's real due diligence. The bottom line is these universities and corporations are scared of getting tweeted out of existence. And the safer choice is just not to introduce a product or hire a particular person. And that's the scary thing. Wow. Tweeted out of existence. Hmm. You know, as much as uh, as much as we're we're looking at uh, these issues of character uh, attacks and some for something someone said or did, it seems like there is also uh, the danger of cancellation from something you don't do or say. Um, I'm thinking right now of like uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. They really wanted corporations to take a stand on that. And some did, like the NBA um, and and the NFL. Th those are huge companies that, that bowed to pressure uh, to say something on this issue because so many of their players felt so strongly about it. But companies that don't say anything can also face consequences. Well, that's right. And I think one of the things you have to look at is um, uh, what kind of business you are. I mean, if you're Nike that does a lot of business with ethnic minorities, you really do have to move uh, and you do have to act and that's smart. But not every company is in the same type of position. And what you really have to ask yourself is, um, is it in my interest to do this? I mean, we tend to advise companies to, to, to tread very, very lightly. I mean, we are very aware that issue, you know, instances of racism and bigotry and sexual discrimination, that that is real and it has to be acknowledged. But I do think that there has become a point where you see people uh, and institutions twisting themselves into pretzels. And I, I, I think of there was this scene in, uh, I think it's the movie Bad Teacher, where Justin Timberlake is trying to hit on um, Cameron Diaz and says, you know, I just, I really hated slavery. But you, can, you can't imagine how much I hate slavery. And she's going, well, well, yeah. And you know, he is trying to really, as they say in England, over-egg the pudding. Mm -hmm. I mean, fall over himself to show how much he hates 
slave, slavery and how much he hates Nazis, as if there are a huge number of us out there going, well, you know, maybe the Nazis were, weren't, so, weren't so bad. <laughs> and I, I do think that corporations have to be careful because you can trigger a reaction among some stakeholders that, oh, come on, enough is enough. They, they accuse you of virtue, virtue signaling. Yeah, I well, think that's, that's right. And by the way, that is insulting to minorities as well. I mean, you're not dealing with idiots here. You're mm-hmm. dealing with people who want to be respected, but they don't necessarily want to buy a car because your company went out of its way to say, if you drive X, you know, an X-Mobile, you will have the most unracist experience driving that you have ever had in your life. Um, This is not necessarily well received. Right. You know, um, what so what are you working on or noticing now that has you most interested in terms of your consultancy? Well, uh, most of the things we're concerned about are how you guide corporations and institutions through legitimate issues of wrongdoing and how you differentiate between things that are um, are real and things that are shakedowns because there there is a difference. I mean, you know, if if you look at some of these sexual assault scandals in the church and other situations, these are not made up. Um, the Harvey Weinstein case is not made up. Um, so you you have to establish protocols that differentiate uh, th- that seek to hunt down and correct bad behavior. The challenge comes in is when you are wrongly accused or if you are accused out of proportion, uh, how much do you fall all over yourself? Is there a point that you fight back? And the answer is yes, yes, there is. I mean, we've worked on cases where we have taken a very strong action, including defamation actions that say, if you plan to allege X, Y, and Z, you're going to have a legal problem. But again, these are with large institutions and corporations, not individuals, which, you know, as I said in this New York Daily News article, it's a much harder um, thing uh, to be able to deal with for an individual. Has it gotten worse, in your opinion? Oh, God, yes. I mean, it's get it's getting so bad um, that anybody who wants to hurt anybody else has a 100 percent chance of doing some damage. Uh, now, it, the, you know, the attack may not necessarily catch on, but, um, you know, what's happened is years ago in the conventional media, there were referees. Uh, if I wanted to make an allegation about you, there would be a reporter that says, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't see evidence of that. But now you go on Twitter. Nothing can stop it. Yeah. Wow. Boy, you have a difficult job. Uh, you know, I asked this um, to all of my guests, and, and I'll ask it to you now. This career of yours, it takes so much energy. Uh, no doubt it takes creativity as well. What do you do to replenish your own creativity when you need to take a break? What is your habit, your your ritual, your routine? I write books because in the I can't control what happens in my day job. I mean, what people in my business would have you believe is if you hire me, 
you know, I'm a magician. And you can see that on, you know, any if ever you find a TV or a movie that deals with a spin doctor, they're always evil geniuses who control everything. We control nothing. But, you know, one of the reasons I wrote False Light, which is my 11th book, uh, uh, seventh novel, is because I can create a world that I can control. And it makes me feel better. That's that's how I cope with it, because I have uh, I, I allow myself to delude myself that I am creating a narrative that has some some social value, but also helps me mentally. Wow, that's a great answer. And I bet through some of those novels, you're, you're able to kind of work things out with your characters that maybe you can even bring into your work. Yes. I mean, you're allowed to take revenge against bad people. You're allowed to protect people who are vulnerable and work out the ending you want. Whereas in, you know, in, 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 in false light, you have a woman who can't seek re- uh, justice um, for an assault in court, but can in the media. In this case, this is an example of a character assassination that actually you know, is largely deserved. But there's also things that go on that are not deserved. Um, and we see that happening, too. All right. False light. Uh, your 11th book. I know you've done nonfiction and fiction. I'm particularly interested in Glassjaw. I'm checking that one out. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Gla- Glassjaw deals with the current culture of attack and, um, and and scandal in the modern age. Okay. How do people find you, find your, um, your works? I know they're probably on Amazon, but I know you have a website too. Yeah, I mean, uh, my for my books is desbooks.net, dezbooks.net, and my firm is uh, desenhall.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it and yep. all of the insight. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun, and um, call anytime. Oh, I will if I've got an issue. I'm calling you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eric Desenhall. He's a crisis management consultant, author, and founder of Washington, D.C.-based public relations firm Desenhall Resources. His new novel is False Light, a thrilling tale of revenge. Make sure to check it out. And let me just say thank you for your continued support and encouragement. As we march ahead with a fresh agenda into 2021, we are closing in on our first 100 episodes. And hearing from those of you that are enjoying the podcast just makes my day. So please subscribe, please rate, please share. I'm Christina Mendonca. This has been a fresh agenda. Let's stay connected. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.